Good evening. I'm Bree Walker. Welcome to the fifth edition of People Magazine on TV. Tonight, a rare appearance by Robert Redford. And an exclusive. We'll hear from a surprise witness in the case of Dr. Elizabeth Morgan, who is still in jail after two years of hiding her daughter. But our first story is a happier one. We're going to the Long Island estate of supermodel Christy Brinkley and her husband, rock star Billy Joel. Entertainment reporter Jill Rappaport did the interviews. But despite their togetherness, the rumors still persist. As you've heard by now, the rumors, you two are splitting up, you two are getting divorced. It's difficult because they print stuff about you that isn't true all the time anyway. But when somebody goes after your, your personal life, uh, the essence of your personal life, which is your relationship, it really kind of bugs you and you can't respond to it properly. You want to say, hey, cut it out, you know, or I'll smack your lights out. Um, we're, you know, we're fine. Hi, I'm Alan Altman. I am Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. And that's not her style, is the song we are discussing today. Uh, contrary to popular belief, it is not the song Stormfront that kicks off the album of the same name. It's the song That's Not Her Style that does. That's Not Her Style was the whopping fifth song released off of Billy's 11th studio album, Stormfront, and was released as a single on August 4th, 1990, charting in at 93 it only lasted four weeks and peaked on august 25th 1990 at 77 it's not a great sign yikes the song was the lowest charting single from the album there is a lackluster extremely lackluster music video for the song that features a live performance at yankee stadium from the film billy joel live at yankee stadium which by the way is coming to a theater near you on october 5th and october 9th it's the 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 new re-edited remastered and redundant but hold on there's more version <laughs> i heard that what they're doing to re-edit it is to take this song out is that true no i just oh <laughs> how i feel about this song well see this new version includes a never before released performance of uptown girl omg Alan, you're too young to remember, but in 1977, uh, what Spielberg, Steven Spielberg, not Steven Spielbergo, added on an extra seven minutes onto Close Encounters of the Third Kind so they could re-release it. 
those encounters of the third kind for the first time. We wanted more. Now, there is more. Close Encounters of the Third Kind, the special edition, rated PG. Check newspapers for local listings. Uh, it was so stupid, and we all fell for it. I had to go see it again. It's like this they time- did that with Apocalypse Now. But Apocalypse Now Redux, which somehow was also like an hour longer, even though it sounds like it should be shorter. Right. Well, this time you went inside the spaceship, and SCTV did an unbelievable spoof on that, that they added on an extra seven minutes to the Merv Griffin show. That's <laughs> <laughs> damn, damn brilliant. This song appears nowhere else except the Billy Joel Live at Yankee Stadium DVD. Interestingly, when this song entered the charts, it was right below a song called Notice Me by someone never heard from again called Nikki. And exactly, exactly 20 years later, Billy Joel's daughter would chart a song with the same name. What? Wow. That is the most random trivia. Thank you. Anywho, it is weird to play a song that will appear on movie screens in two months. And yet, as you guessed it, has been erased from existence. I mean, it's not like it was going up the charts and beating Billy Idol's soundtrack to the Andrew Dice Clay movie Ford Fairline back then, you know? What could? Exactly. For some reason, the album version of That's Not Her Style clocks in at a hefty five minutes and ten seconds while they were able to cut a full minute for the released single version. This is a very strange song, not very well known, not very well respected. So that brings us to the rankings, Alon. I mean, what are you thinking? Somebody like Christopher Bonanos, Gamboa, and the fans rank this okay song. I think this is one of those bottom feeders. So I'm going to say that Bonanos puts it at 102. Yeah, you're right there. It's 94. Another dated sounding track, but the lyrics are actually pretty okay. This is presumably one of his Christy Brinkley songs, several of which are more charming might benefit from a remix kind of yeah believe all that glenn gamboa ranked it for some reason at 67 i've lost respect for gamboa i think his rankings are totally out of whack i agree uh that's why he never gets in touch with us he's embarrassed and the fans ranked us at a very lowly 113 out of 121 there you go that's not good well I remember this song completely. There's many times. There's something about this album that just sticks with me. I don't know why. And I will be around somewhere and just all of a sudden blurt out like I do with Stormfront, with the opening of Stormfront or certain songs off this album for some reason. Uh, what, what What's the other one? State of Grace. I will just blurt out, that's not her style. And then I go nowhere else. I don't remember the lyrics or anything except that part of the song. I didn't know it opened with a horrible harmonica opening. It's probably why I put it out of my head. (laughs) I can't believe he opened the album with a horrible harmonica opening. Meanwhile, the opening, once the harmonica comes, the piano comes in, sounds like the soundtrack to the movie The Firm with Tom Cruise and Gene Hackman. All that piano playing, which I believe might be Dave Grusin, who we've spoken about before, because if you remember, if it's the same guy I'm thinking of that did the firm soundtrack, I think it might be. He also helped on Half a Mile Away with the horns. 
So, uh, but it's it sounds exactly like the firm. All that piano playing where Tom Cruise is running away was a very strange soundtrack for a movie like that. But the chases are all on piano. Yeah, I'm kind of picturing it now. I think it's because that movie takes place in Memphis, so they were going for some kind of a bluesy Memphis feel, and this song is a bluesy kind of song, too. Yeah, I guess so, and that's why it sounds like, and it's kind of around the same time period. So what do you think of this song? I mean, it can't be one of your favorites. No, it's one of my least favorites, and I think I've... Look, I don't have a lot of love for the Stormfront album, and I think this song, the problem with it is it reminds me of House of Blue Light, which we've already decided might be the worst Billy Joel song. Yep. And I just I've realized now I just don't like Billy Joel when he's doing this like gruff blues rock kind of thing. If there's any genre that I don't like to hear him do, it's this like, you know, he's going for these hard edged vocals here. But I feel like his voice doesn't sound strong enough for it. I feel like he's not getting to where he needs to get in this song. I don't know. The lyrics are kind of catchy in some places. I like she wines and dines with Argentines and Kuwaitis. Uh, That's kind of cool. But uh, overall, though, I don't know. I just don't like this style of music for Billy Joel. I don't either, obviously. Um, but I will just say that's so. So this song is it's an ode to Christy Brinkley. Yes. And it's all about paparazzi and gossip. So it's what it is. That's another style is, I mean, just it, it, with the paparazzi, what think supermodels might be like. While the media may think she jets across the country, and like you said, wines and dines with Argentines and Kuwaitis, she's actually much more down to earth. That's what Billy Joel's trying to say, which is kind of a great message, but I don't know whether it gets its point out. Yeah, and kind of the the examples he uses for these accusations that are against her by the paparazzi are are like so all over the place because there's uh, she socializes with foreigners, hangs out with the Reagans, cheats on Billy Joel, gives a blowjob to a pilot really as plastic mm-hmm. surgery lies about her age and then the, the worst one of all of course the last one is has satin sheets and what does that mean i don't know that's who cares Wait, where, where did you get the blowjob reference oh because there's a lyric that says she gave the pilot something extra for a perfect ride oh jesus i don't even remember that my god see i never <laughs> listen to the lyrics before i look at them here well here's what billy joel himself said when asked if the song might draw even more attention to the tabloid gossip, he said, that's a dilemma for me because no one knew the other woman I was married to. He's talking about Elizabeth Weber. Yeah, we know. He's saying, I could write just the way you are and other songs that people could identify with it. With Christy, if I write a love song about a woman or I write anything about a woman, people assume I'm writing about her. It's kind of interesting. We That's a great point. I love that. Yeah, we fall for it, too. And I know if it were me listening, I'd be going, God, there's that jerk singing about his beautiful supermodel wife again. (laughs) He totally gets it. I'm so sick of reading about the two of them. Screw him. But I also know that a lot of great artists, Picasso, Chopin, others use the woman they loved as their muse to represent women in general. So I'm in good company. Yeah, that's true. But those women that they that were their muses weren't world famous people they were just prostitutes (laughs) well that's exactly what he's saying which is really interesting we never even thought about that you know if he writes about elizabeth weber we don't i mean yes now with social media now what it is today i mean back then who cared who knew it was about her who knew anything was going on we thought it was about a woman in general but then over the years with wikipedia and all this kind of stuff uh and remember christy brinkley wasn't even in the social media era. I mean, that's how popular she was, right? She's, I mean, they're talking about her and 
there's not Instagram or Twitter or any of this stuff. And she's still that popular. That's when you knew you were really something. Yeah. People just knew her from magazine covers or from like cover girl commercials. And that was it. Yeah. And vacation. And that, and then when you marry, you know, a Billy Joel, like, it's just, it's not just like, you know, I'm marrying this really great musician. You're like, it's just the looks come into play, the questions. There's so much interest and mostly like no one would bat an eye if she married John Bon Jovi. It, it would have just been like, this makes sense. But because it was Billy Joel, then everything comes into play. Yeah, it's got it's like there's a if she's a 10, she has to marry a 10. Her marrying a, a what well, I'm not going to say what I think is uh, <laughs> being polite. <laughs> but anyway, there's a there's a uh, disparity there that people need to talk about. You're always surprised when you see a couple like that walking down the street. Yes. Well, like I have my old website, Hot Girls with Douchebags. Um, you know, I, I believe that, that you did have that website. <laughs> so the thing is, this song is so I stick by my guns, as I think you we all agree. And I said it multiple, multiple times. Even a bad Billy Joel song is still a superior song compared to so many other people. So this song doesn't suck in any way. It's still entertaining. There's still a saving grace to it for sure. But it's funny when the song begins, I say, you know, it sounds like I wrote this song. Like that's how childish it is at the beginning. Cause I've written some songs in my life in the sense of for, you know, whether it's my stupid cars movie, the movie about the band, the cars, yeah, and turbocharger. I did a Willy Wonka rock opera to call it a Wonka opera. And I was in a band for a little bit, right? And I wrote my own songs. And they're not good. <laughs> you know, I'm not really a songwriter, but this is unfortunately when I heard this, I'm like, geez, it sounds like I wrote this song. That's not a good sign. And the bridge of this song sounds like exactly what I wrote. And that's not good. So what is it though? Is it the, it's, it's, the type the, of lyrics or the tune? It's I, I got the word for you. I just thought of it parochial. Now, I know I've heard that word. I don't really know what it means. Well, it's like childish. Like it's like a beginner, like a, like Billy Joel shouldn't be writing a song like this. He's a master pianist musician. He knows everything about the history of music. And this song is totally 80s. It's completely dated. And it just sounds like a song that somebody like me with very minor, I, I don't even want to say musical talent, you know, but, but I, I shouldn't be able to write a song that sounds like his. Yeah. And that's I, the I first time I've ever said that. I mean, that's how parochial the opening, not with the harmonica, but towards the right later, it sounds like. I guess it's just with the guitar repeating and repeating like any person could write in the 80s. Since you're talking about how this sounds like a song you would write, you started making me think of these lyrics in your like Broadway singing voice that you do. I'd like to hear that. Give me the first couple lines in your over-the-top Broadway Juskow style. All right, hold on. Let me see if I can get the Broadway voice. Um... Some people think that she's one of those mink-coated ladies. They say she wakes up at one and makes the paparazzi run till dawn. <laughs> well, that, that's not right. <laughs> the papers say she was seen in L.A. with a stranger. 
She found a perfect body with a Maserati right outside. (laughs) When she heard her career was in danger and gave the pilot something extra for a perfect ride. That's not her style. I can tell you that ain't my woman. That's not her style. I can tell you because I'm her man. (laughs) Is that all right? That was great. Now it's a better song. I could probably do it better. This is what Bananos was talking about. We needed this version of the song. (laughs) It's so stupid. You're right. I can't believe I never noticed the pilot thing. She gives him something extra. She says she's 30 when she's really pushing 45 is a great line, though. Yeah, that's good. And in real life, uh, she wasn't that old, right? She was probably in her mid-30s. Oh, yeah, I know. He's he's definitely exaggerating. It's goddamn mean. Actually, to do to your wife <laughs> or girlfriend at the time, whatever she was. Well, definitely wife at this time. He had a kid. I don't, I'm losing track of the uh, years and stuff. Yeah. But it's, you know, also they uh, compare it. The sound totally sounds like that Robert Palmer song as well. Very Robert Palmer-esque, you know, with the. Uh, oh, yeah. Addicted to love. And what, what's the other song he did? Uh, Simply Irresistible. Which makes perfect sense. That's also about somebody super hot. But, you know, this album's all over the place. <laughs> I was thinking about that. I was listening to Stormfront on the way the other day, the, our version of Stormfront, Billy Joel A to Z Stormfront. I was thinking, you know, this album is really, all, I mean, it's like, I know it's his maritime album, <laughs> but but there is a theme. There's a maritime theme. We know that. With Stormfront, yeah. Downeaster Alexa, you know that, but then the rest of it is weird, and it's really an '80s like album. That well, besides you know, we talk about Modern Woman and Running on Ice. It's completely '80s songs. This is definitely one of them too. And this is the end of the '80s, but it's still the '80s. So he made four, five albums in the '80s. Not Climbing Glass Houses. That's 1980. So it was recorded in '79. He made four albums in the '80s. And two of them don't sound like 80s albums at all. And then two songs in the 1986 album do. And this album completely sounds like, well, and produced by a guy who was a legend in the 80s, Nick Jones. So, Yeah, I mean, the problem is that it's, it's a part of the, the 80s music that he's channeling here doesn't hold up as well, unfortunately. Like when he did Glass Houses, which you're not counting as the 80s, but still it was him trying to do contemporary music of the time, like new wave stuff. And he pulls it off really, really well. And, and that kind of music is still cool today, but this sort of music, Robert Palmer, I don't think anyone's really thinking about Robert Palmer these days. So no. it doesn't hold and, up. And the th- it reminds me of that movie Singles, I think it was called. I think that's what it was called. I think Ben Stiller and Janine Garofalo are in it. And they're like, oh, it's a movie about the 90s, but it came out in 1990. So how can it be a movie about the 90s? I think yeah. that's what it was called. And they, I remember they did that. My uh, that guy, I I told, I've talked about on this podcast. Guy Bill Persky made this movie called Serial, uh, with an S. And he said, "Well, it was supposed to be a quintessential movie about the '80s, but it came out in 1980. So how can you call? That's why. How can I call Glass Houses a, an album of the '80s when it was recorded clearly in '79? We don't know what the '80s are going to end up being like. Yeah, no, you're right. It's. Uh, I think you got to give it at least three or four years before a decade has its identity. Well, that's exactly right. As a history major myself and getting, you know, which is probably why I like we didn't start the fire. 
we always talk about when the 60s became the 60s and 60s become the 60s after JFK gets shot. And then all this. So it's 1963 when we talk about the 60s, the 60 to 62, 63 are still considered the 50s. You know, even in Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley, they're like in 1962, you know, like we're good times. 63, everything ends. And 70s start pretty much when Nixon resigns. It does go by, I mean, it makes sense that it goes by presidential differences. But the 80s clearly start when Ronald Reagan becomes president in 1980. And things and MTV comes in 81. How could you not call that the 80s? Yeah. So you're saying the 80s started a little bit sooner than the 60s started. Yeah. But that's where things go. It's events. So, you know, the 2000s start on September 11, 2001. And then, you know, I who knows when the 210 start, but that's the way history seems to work. No, everyone knows the, the 2000s started when Will Smith released Willennium. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. I take it totally back. Or the Newmanium. Newmanium. <laughs> what is it? Yeah, the Newmanium or the what was Kramer's name for it? <laughs> the Newmanium is the best one. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, Jerry, my Millennium Party is really coming together. Now, will people be able to breathe underwater in the year 2000? Some of us. But yeah, that's so that's why it's weird. In 1989, it's still definitely the 80s. You know, definitely things didn't change. So, I mean, people were getting sick of the music from the 80s, but still in 1989, recording in 1988, things were very, you know, Billy Joel, the fact that he made it through the 80s is a goddamn miracle. Yeah, well, it's because he was able to slow down a bit there in the middle because he had a stable family life. So he wasn't uh, maybe not as coked up as other people were in right. that decade. Right. So. For the 45 of this album being released, and obviously the song went nowhere. I'm, I'm only saying because that's what it is on the charts. It only made it to 77. The cover art of the 45, I suppose you saw that. Yeah, I mean, I, I had to get parental permission, but I did see it. There is a naked lady on it. <laughs> yeah, he's hanging out with a naked lady. It's not Christy Brinkley. It's just a model. And I don't know if you've heard him talking about making that album cover. Oh, I did. Yeah, it's really great. He. It's so weird because he's he's got to like stop himself in a way because it was the interview was from the 80s, I think. And he goes, well, this model comes in and I, I don't like being on film and I don't like being in pictures. And we get that. And and this model comes in and she just gets naked. And uh, I'm just like, well, this is awkward, but uh, I don't mind hanging out with her for a couple of hours. You know, something like that. Right. Wasn't it like that? Yeah. Yeah. But then he's like, so I was with her for eight hours, just ogling right, her. Right. He says that he was ogling her. Well, how could you? I mean, that's got to be really awkward. You just got married and you're married to the most beautiful woman, maybe on the planet. And there's this naked woman in front of you and you're supposed to be all business like. I mean, it's really awkward. It's funny in the context of the song, because you can imagine some paparazzi outside that studio being like, whoa, Billy Joel was in a studio with another supermodel for eight hours. Yeah, it's a joke that he's writing a song about tabloid stuff. And here is the juicy gossip right in front of you. Oh, Billy was very flirtatious with this model that was just doing his cover. And why? What is that cover? Why does she need to be naked? What is that? What does that mean? It's rock and roll, baby. Rock and roll. (laughs) Yeah, but it's just it doesn't make sense for the song, does it? Well, it's about a woman who's got a certain style. And so here's a naked lady. That's a style. But if you're writing a song about your wife, which we all know it is. Why would you have a different naked model on a cover with him putting his hand on his shoulder? Wouldn't that be a turnoff to a lot of the women listening or buying this album? 
Yeah, these are good questions. Because he's not Mick Jagger. This is Billy Joel. And people love that he's married to Christy Brinkley. So who thought of this? And also don't like that. I always talk about I think I've said this on the show before. Dolly Parton had a TV series and she's in a hot tub with Burt Reynolds and her fans who are like, you know, Christians and stuff like that. You open Dollywood and all that kind of stuff. Right. They're like furious. She's in a hot tub with somebody else. That's not her husband. Billy cool. Joel's fans aren't Catholic or any of that kind of stuff, but they are all in on the fact that he just got married. You figured it out. That's why it only went to number 77. I guess so. It's odd. They very rarely do 45 cover art. That's why the whole thing is really weird. I didn't know they took extra pictures for the 45s. Billy specifically requested, find me a way to have a naked model with me. It's very obvious that uh, this (laughs) does happen often. Uh, God, being friends with uh, Sarah Silverman for many years, I have seen scripts come her way from people that we all know. People you'd be shocked where there she has nothing to do in the thing except make out with the person that wrote the script (laughs) (laughs) you ever see that roseanne arquette we were talking about her last week i think uh the one where she's on saturday night live the opening sketch it's uh john lovitz comes in as that liar character and he goes well i'm uh, lauren michaels or something i'm the producer and she's like well i'd like to talk about this make out with the producer sketch Uh, and he goes well what would you like to know (laughs) Well, it just doesn't make any sense. Why am I making out with the producer? And he's telling her all this stuff, right? So Lauren comes in and he goes, get out of here, Tommy. You know, whatever. He goes, I'm sorry about that. And she goes, yeah, it was weird. He has this make out with the producer sketch. He goes, let me take a look at that. That sounds pretty good. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Oh, gosh. Wow. Where'd you get that outfit? Well, it's for the neck with the producer sketch. You know, the neck with the producer sketch. What? I don't remember that address rehearsal. Well, yeah, Lauren Michaels just added it. Lauren? You talked to Lauren? <laughs> of course. I just rehearsed the scene for an hour and a half. I, I can't believe it. He's usually so aloof. Yeah. Three minutes to air. Oh, okay. Okay. Right. You're fine. You're fine. Good oh, luck. You're going to get a rehearsal okay. scene. Okay. Oh, Lauren, kiss me, you fancy dresser, you. Makes me dizzy. Lauren, kiss me, you fancy dresser, you. Who is it? It's me, Lauren Michaels. Come in. Hello. Hi, Lauren. Hi. Hi. Are you uh, ready to rehearse? Yeah, I, I am, but um, it's just, I don't get this scene, you know? I, oh. I say one line and then we kiss for five minutes. I yeah. just don't get the joke. Oh, well, you see, it's, a, it's conceptual. Yeah, it's, it's a political statement. Yeah, that's what it is. It's a plea for the homeless. <laughs> We don't even mention the homeless. Well, we don't want to be too preachy. Yeah. See, it's, it's subtext. It's, it's a hidden message. You have to read between the lines. But I only have one line. Yeah, exactly. The rest are hidden. <laughs> Excuse me. One minute there, everybody. Hi, you better get ready for the show. Who are you? I'm Lauren Michaels. <laughs> well, who are you? I, I'm Lauren Michaels. Paging Mr. Michaels. Paging Mr. Lauren Michaels. Oh, what? Yeah, I'll be there in a second. Oh, and I, I just paged myself, too. Yeah, yeah. that's what I did. Yeah. Right. Come on, son. Oh, who's that guy? You, you better get ready for the show. What are you doing in that outfit? <laughs> it's for the neck with the producer sketch. Neck with the producer sketch? Hmm. Better get ready. This isn't bad. I mean, it's funny, and it makes an interesting point about the homeless. So, it happens. 
or it used to. And then women put a stop to that. Thank goodness. So, Alon, I've never heard about him playing this live. I don't remember seeing on a concert list. Has he ever played it? Yeah, he played it during the Stormfront tour. And right. I think on the later end of the tour, when this was released as a single in 1990, oh. that's when he started playing it. So he played it 12 times on that tour, and that's it. Oh, uh, yeah, that, uh, right. Of course, right. Why wouldn't he play it if they just released it as a single? That makes sense. Funny thing is, uh, I think this could work live. I think it would be, actually be better live. Well, yeah, I mean, we've heard the live at Yankee Stadium, and I've also heard live at Wembley. It's a little bit better. It's still, uh, I don't know. He seems out of breath sometimes when he's singing it. Yeah, that, but that I don't know why that video is unappealing. And also there's in the video, like someone gives him their underwear. It seems staged to me. Is it this? This is the one where Christy Brinkley's shooting it. Is this the one, or is that a different one where she's? No, that's a different him? one. Oh, that's a different one. So she's not in it at all. I didn't Isn't know she it, in it at the end. Yeah, you could be right. I I don't know. I I I was kind of skimming through because I didn't want to really hear the song too much. I can't remember. I just funny. I thought it was funny they released it like with, you know, no. They put out the video, but it's like there's no effort involved. It's just oh, let's just take it from the movie. Yeah, and then there's like him with like the roadies or the Yankee Stadium crew, and he's like signing a baseball for them. Yeah, well, that was kind of cool. Yeah. But we already saw that in the DVD. That's why I don't know if this is extra footage or whether it's already in the movie. Yeah. Well, that would be it's a just, good research assignment to figure out if this is any of this is bonus footage or if it was all just taken from the movie. Yeah, well, I mean, it seems like it's just a promotion for the DVD. Which didn't exist back then. You mean VHS. Is that? No, DVD. Yankee Stadium one comes out on DVD. Yeah, but this video was made uh, back oh. in 1990, right? Oh, right. Wait. So that wait. So when when was the Yankee the Yankee Stadium thing only exists on DVD? When did that? When was that? Well, DVD didn't come out to the late 90s, so maybe it was originally a home video release, or was it like broadcast on something? Yeah, maybe that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense, right? I don't think there was DVDs back then. You're absolutely right. I don't know. I just know when I talk about that it's available on the Yankee Stadium, it always says DVD, but you might be right. Because the Yankee Stadium concert was in 1990, right? Yep. Yeah, so it must have come out on VHS, but now it now you only get it on DVD. Yeah, that might be right. Meanwhile, your wife was so pouty when she just came out. She actually looked like Christy Brinkley. <laughs> I'll she tell her a, that um, after. She looked very angry when she just walked by, but it was kind of sexy. Sarah, Dave thinks you look like Christy Brinkley. She's gotten that before, she says. Wow. She's just as humble as Christy Brinkley. <laughs> <laughs> How do you like that? Well, Dave, it's time for the trivia portion of the show. Do you have a stumper for me? I do. So here it is. As we spoke about and tell her about it, Phil Ramone screwed Billy with the Flashdown soundtrack. Remember? I remember. So which of Billy's album producers screwed him this time with another song about gossip that this producer was able, this producer and the person he did it with was able to bring the song to number three on the charts, not just 77, number three, granted seven years before the song was written, which producer screwed Billy over once again. Screwed Billy over seven years before this song <laughs> right. preemptively but, screwed him. But had a hit, a very powerful hit song at number three about gossip columns and how they just like that's not her style. 
Oh, is it dirty laundry? It is dirty laundry, and the answer is Danny Kutchmer, or whoever Kutch, pronounced Kutchmer. Pronounce his name. Yes, another one of Billy's producers screwing him, letting him have it by making a very popular and billboard chart hit single about the paparazzi in Dirty Laundry. Don Henley, the great Don Henley and Dirty Laundry. And that's that was the album before he really hit the pay dirt with the big album that had uh, Boys of Summer and all she wants, the actual song, all she wants to do is dance again. Screwing oh, Billy, But screwing Billy again by making a much more popular song of all she wants to do is dance. Yeah. <laughs> it's like he went through Billy's catalog and was like, I got a better idea. And what so is- Billy, in a brilliant move, like George Steinbrenner used to do, anybody that beat him in the World Series, he'd hire for the Yankees. So that's Billy Joel's like, I better get this Danny Kotchmer guy. He keeps screwing me. <laughs> Another thing, I'll make him work for me. And it ended his career. That's right. <laughs> and so it goes. What? Look what I did there. Wow. So, Alon, do you have as an important trivia question as I just gave to you? I mean, really? Oh, absolutely. This, you have this one is for me. one of the best ones of all time. <laughs> I figured. So this song peaked at number 77, which was Billy Joel's lowest charting U.S. single since what year? 1977. Mm. No. Oh. I just Wouldn't that have been nice? Yeah. Uh, since what year? I'm going to say since his lowest charting single. So now I'm going, oh, 86? No. I was going to say something on the bridge, which stinks. No, um, they, all, they all did better than this. Really? Okay, then. I think the worst on the bridge was Baby Grand, which went to 75, I think. Okay, so something there's something lower. I mean, what would he have lower on the, the three biggies? Oh, uh, well, then I'll go even further. I'll say 1973. You're almost there. It was 74. So Street Life Serenader. So The Entertainer. No, actually, it was pre-Street Life. It was uh, the singles after Piano Man on Piano Man. Oh, well, when I said 73, I said the Piano Man album. But you're you saying Piano was, Man. Okay, yeah, sure. There was a release later in 74. Piano Man was released in 73. Yeah, I think it was, was released a, late in 73. And then... Uh, charted it by 74 travel and prayer and worst comes to worst two songs we haven't done yet so that's why i'll give you a pass on this one i didn't even know they released more songs off the album yeah they tried both as singles one of them went to 77 one went to 80 oh so there it is yeah he's not used to having low rated charts but that's when you get when you put out five six songs one of them's gonna they're gonna then one i mean if this song had done well they probably would have put out stormfront yeah they would have kept going go for the yeah they would have just kept going why wouldn't you why wouldn't you? So this put a stop when we were talking about Stormfront last week or whatever week it was. They pro- it probably would have been out had this charted to like two or three. Yeah. Or maybe even State of Grace. Right. Oh, right. Yeah. One of those that didn't that weren't released. Yeah, exactly. We were talking about definitely State of Grace. Still surprised they put out this instead of State of Grace. But since this was about, well, they were both about Christy Brinkley. I don't know. Whatever.
Alon, I can see a very good parody for this song. What do you have for us today? <laughs> okay, so my parody is called That's Gomer Pyle. Golly! <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fucking brilliant uh, for anybody that is, uh, you know, 110, but I like it anyway. Let's hear it. Okay. And golly! I, I've never seen an episode of Gomer Pyle. How is that possible? I don't know. I know the character. I've probably seen. I've seen the Simpsons make fun of him. I get the gist of the character. So you know that he goes golly, right? And he says Shazam, Shazam, Shazam. That's right. Okay, so he's got some catchphrases. Jim uh, Neighbors, the great Jim Neighbors, turned out to be a homosexual. Well, who knew he was an he's actor? Actually he sang. dating Rock Hudson. How about that? That's some juicy. Dave Jeskow's giving out the gossip today for that's not her style. That's not his style. <laughs> okay, so this is that's Gomer Pyle. Some people think that he's really the guy from Mayberry. They say he was a mechanic until he joined the Marines by choice. He always makes life harder for his CO, Sergeant Carter. And then he'll serenade you with his baritone singing voice. That's Gomer Pyle. <laughs> no, I'm telling you, his name is Jim Neighbors. That's Gomer Pyle. No, you moron. That's a fictional man. Golly. You don't even know the half of uh, Jim Neighbors. It was, yeah, he, he has all these albums where he's like singing with the stupidest voice where he's like, when I'm calling you, I like he would sing like that with that crazy voice that was like just that anybody could do and, and made up and people, they loved it. But, you know, if you were normal, you're like, what, what is, what is this? Carol Burnett would use him on her, the season premiere of her TV series for like 10 years. Like he was, say, oh, Jim Davis are our good luck charm. And boy, was he dull. <laughs> People loved him, though. Oh, no, we don't want to be typecast. Oh, that's right. Versatility counts. Yeah. But what could we do from here? Well, we could go to that moment in every Broadway show where the leading lady looks wistfully into her lover's eyes and sings a romantic ballad. There were bells on the hill, but I never heard them ringing. And they didn't know he was gay and having a relationship with Rock Hudson, who was so hot. Well, according to this, it's an alleged relationship with nah, Rock everybody Hudson. knew. My dad even knew. They, Rumor they is that them. he married him. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. My dad even knew. For some reason, he he saw him and Jim Neighbors at a thing at a convention or something. What? Like he told me a long time ago before anybody knew Rock Hudson was gay. And I'm like, well, how do you know? I saw him together. I mean, somebody must have seen them together. Well, I don't think they always stayed in. Openly, they were just casual friends. Yeah. Well, and this is funny. This is this is Rock Hudson's uh, story about it. He said the whole rumor that they got married originated because a group of middle aged homosexuals who live in Huntington Beach sent out joke invitations for an annual get together where it said people could come together to witness the marriage of Rock Hudson and Jim Neighbors. At which Hudson would take the surname of Gomer Pyle, becoming Rock Pyle. <laughs> so 
So I think it was just one of those fun uh, gay jokes. That was they... one of his uh, Flintstones characters when they. No, he was um, Rock Granite, I believe, when he oh. was on The Simpsons. <laughs> uh, no, that's it, the Flintstones. The Flintstones. Sorry. Um, Flintstones. Yeah. But yeah, it's just funny. I mean, what a scandal and how horrible it must have been for those guys back then. You know, nobody cares if you're gay, but unfortunately, you know, Rock Hudson was a an, an, an idol. You know, and and he, his career would have been ruined for sure back then. Rock Hudson was pretty cool. You ever see uh, Pillow Talk or anything? The ones with the ones with Doris Day. I've never seen a single thing he's been in. Yeah, you should. Well, for, he used to have a TV series, which of course that's where I know him from, called McMill- McMillan and Wife, and it was there with Columbo and McCoy and Mick and Quincy and all the ones I play on the show all the time. Yeah. So he had that TV show for a long time, which um, you know made his career last a lot longer. But he was. A big movie star in the fifties did these uh, three this trilogy with Doris Day and Tony Randall uh, that were uh, very entertaining. At least the first one, very entertaining. Pillow talk, and it's all about crossed party lines on telephones. Talk about old fashioned. <laughs> exactly. Well, folks, that was That's Not Her Style. If you like our podcast, be sure to go to Apple and give us five stars. We release new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday, so make sure you hit subscribe so you never miss a single song. Follow us on social media at Billy Joel A to Z and give us some feedback. Are you surprised there's a naked lady on the 45 cover? Ooh. <laughs> I'm going to hide it under my mattress. Ooh. Are you as upset as Dave that this song opens with a harmonica? Uh. Does the song sound dated to you? Ooh, sorry. Did you like? <laughs> did you like Dave's Broadway version? Who doesn't? Or would this song be better if Jim Neighbors sang it? That's not her style. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think not. Golly! And most importantly, are you excited that our next episode starts the buzz? I love that band. Until next time, I'm Alon Altman. I'm Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. Keep going, keep going, keep going.